Well, let's take our Bibles at this time then and turn to 1 Samuel. In chapter number one, we'll get back to our series here, When a Nation Needs Revival. When a Nation Needs Revival, 1 Samuel and chapter number one. Wait and uh, review where we were from last week as we get into the message. It's good to have some guests uh, here tonight. It's a real blessing. I know uh, Ms. Pennell's here, Janelle, Jan, uh, Janelle, Janelle uh, Pennell from Canada. Uh, this is the Cox's daughter, and uh, so glad she could be here. Her husband, Brett, remember he preached here a few years ago, and uh, we need to pray for Canada. You know, don't forget the need of the gospel in Canada. Um, Ms. Janelle, I mean, this is something right here, isn't it? Seeing this many people. Um, yeah. A lot of restrictions in the world. Let's not forget how blessed we are right now to get to gather like this, not take it for granted. She was sharing with Angie that, that um, they were, I don't know if it's back to, you know, not gathering or, or if never, I don't know if it had been. I know I can't travel a whole lot, but anyways, doing a drive up service and not even allowed to roll the window down. It's restrictive. It is. So let's not take for granted what we've got right here. Let's make the most of it. Amen. Make the very most of it every single time. Well, 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Uh, 1 Samuel. And uh, we're going to um, look at uh, some verses here. We'll look at some of them a little bit later on. Um, verse 17, Eli answered and said, go in peace. He's speaking to Hannah, who he realized now is not drunk, but she's praying. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat and her countenance was no more sad. There was joy there in Hannah's life. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered. Uh, wherefore, it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she, the one who had been barren, mind you, she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then, will, then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord, and notice this, and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, Tarry until thou have weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him with her. And notice it says with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. And they slew a, a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. 
I love what she says in verse 27. I'm sure you do as well. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. And notice what she says here now in verse number 28. Therefore also have, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. When a nation needs revival, there is a need for parents to raise kids to serve the Lord. That's the title of our message here tonight. Raised, raised to serve the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We're going to get to it here tonight. Raised to serve the Lord. <clears throat> Got about 11 pages of notes here, and they're not single-spaced, so or double-spaced. I mean, we better, we better get to it. We better get to it, Brother Cameron, for sure. His book, uh, The Vanishing Ministry in the 21st Century, Calling a New Generation to Lifetime Service. That's what the subtitle is, Woodrow Kroll. I've shared this before, but it just fit very well with what we're considering here tonight. He's talking about the need for new recruits or new individuals that will give their life in service for God. And a lot of what he was dealing with in the book is how that a generation of missionaries, and we're seeing that even more now, um, that that generation of missionaries is passing off the scene, either by uh, physically, you know, passing off the scene or going home to heaven, I mean, and, or their age and, and body is to where they have to come back to the field. And so he was really concerned about that and not just on the mission field, but also just in terms of of ministry like we all enjoy and appreciate here week by week, I believe that, that you know, if, if we're going to see that continued into our future, that God, if he tarries his coming, uh, then there needs to be pastors and there needs to be song leaders and, and there needs to be, um, well, there needs to be greeters and bus workers and there needs to be nursery workers and there needs to be children's church workers and there needs to be deacons and trustees and and uh, the list obviously goes on. There just needs to be people that'll say, you know, I'll, I'll serve the Lord with my life. And, and, um, and those even that would do it full time, I recognize, as we often do, that God doesn't call everybody into full time ministry. But he does. I believe he still does call some into full time ministry. And I believe he is still calling. And, and it's not like the need has gotten any less today. Uh, for the, in terms of the need of those that would say, you know, I, if God calls me, I think everybody ought to have an open heart to that, don't you? And God calls me, I'll serve him full time. I'd like to, I want to. And, and I believe that God does call that. And since the need is not diminished, but it's only continued to grow with the population being what it is in our own country, as well as in other countries, then I think we'd make a, a case that, that since the need is great, then, then surely God is calling. Uh, especially if we're praying that God would call some. Uh, and I believe that we should be. That's our theme this year, into his harvest. Uh, Jesus said the need is great and, uh, and, and the labors are few. You know, the harvest is great, labors are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth labors into his harvest. And, and I just want to say that every, every student, this being Heartland Sunday, I believe every student that has come here is really an answer to prayer. Uh, that God has sent forth laborers into his harvest. We have about 30 or so that are going to graduate with a Bible certificate here uh, in just about a week or so. And, 
And some of them will go, will continue on with other degrees that are right here and others will be going to other, other places uh, to continue their training or continue their education elsewhere. And, and I, I'm sure glad that some have seen the need in our day and time to say, you know, if I'm going to be teaching in the public school or I'm going to be a police officer or I'm going to be a firefighter or if I'm going to be working in the medical field or I'm going to be working as a secretary somewhere, uh, the main thing is, is I'm going to serve God through the local church and I'm going to be ready to teach in that local church or the Sunday school. And so they got a, a certificate, a, a year's training, just kind of orientation, just kind of help them on Bible knowledge. You know, I think that's good. It's a good use of time. Woodrow Kroll talked about the vanishing ministry, and he said this, It happened without fanfare, in fact, almost without notice. While the church slept, the great diverter worked diligently. He attacked on every front at the same time. We were all taken in by the devil's devices. He got us inordinately interested in ourselves. He distorted our goals for our children. He got pastors too busy with today's problems to be aware of tomorrow's needs. He got Christian colleges to broaden their mission statement, expand their scope, and consequently dilute their eternal importance. You understand what he's saying right there? There are Christian colleges, and, I, and I'm, I'm grateful there are some Christian colleges out there that teach um, trades and, and um, other disciplines of learning. I, I'm, I'm glad for that. But Heartland Baptist Bible College in particular is a, is a school devoted to training those called to ministry. And we're not interested in broadening that scope to train in other fields or realms. That doesn't mean it's not important, those realms, but we just really believe that there's a need to stay very focused on um, training those that God calls. And, I, and, and I, I don't know the motive of all colleges and maybe God leads some to do that. I, I want to allow for that, of course. But there is also the temptation to broaden that scope just to get more students in so that be more revenue. Can be that. I guess I better get back to what Woodrow Kroll was saying. But he said, he said that the great diverter diverted the attention of colleges, Christian colleges, to broaden their mission statement, expand their scope, and consequently dilute their eternal importance. The result wasn't felt immediately. In many ways, I'm sorry, in many areas, it wasn't recognized at all. Usually, we do not even know that we have a problem until it's too late for a solution. But we have a problem. He says, in contrast to the numbers in the general population, the ministry workforce is still vanishing before our eyes. Is that significant? It is, isn't it? Churches seem to have forgotten that one of their primary functions is recruitment of members for ministry. And then he says this, fewer young people hear the call to ministry as a lifetime vocation 
and little is done, the great diverter is good at his job. Now, I'll just share with you why that concerns me. Because I believe it's obvious that the need for ministry and the ministry workforce is not less, but it's greater. All right. Um, nearly every week, for sure every month, uh, we get a call here or there's a call at Heartland Baptist Bible College. In fact, I think maybe there's more calls even there as Brother Ben Logue would field some of those calls. Brother Copes would fill, filled a lot of those calls. But here's basically the gist of it. Our church has been without a pastor for about six months. We're needing somebody that would come and pastor. Am I telling the truth, Brother Copes? Um, our church needs a youth pastor. I'm thankful we have a youth pastor who's been here 15 years. You know, that's not the norm. Coming up 15 years if he makes it. Um, <laughs> a lot of churches don't have a youth pastor and don't have a song leader, don't have a pastor. And, um, you know, it's, it's encouraging on one hand to say, hey, I know this individual, know that, and see how God can work those things out and does often. It's wonderful. It's a blessing. And God's worked that out even this year. There are some that are still praying about where to go. I'd ask you as a church, just pray for some of the students that are still praying about where they're supposed to go and what they're supposed to do. Those are some big decisions weighing on their mind, don't you know? And, and, um, and so I think we ought to pray for them. But... I'm just trying to run by it tonight that if, if we love the gospel ministry and, and churches, then we really do need to set ourselves to pray that God, would you raise up another generation of those that would take their place faithfully in the, in the local church ministry. And, I, and again, I'm not just saying as pastor, though, um, please don't avoid the call to pastor just because you think it doesn't make a lot of money. Life's not about making money. Right? It's not. And uh, please don't avoid the call because you think or you say, well, I don't want that because it, that'd be a hard life. Or, uh, or you know, I don't like public speaking. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day, do you still get nervous? Every single time. Every time. Without fail. I'm always sitting over here quoting what God told Moses. Now, therefore, go. <laughs> That's step one. <laughs> now, therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Um, I'm trying to mi be mindful of that every time. Um, and, you know, I mean, we, we've got young people here. We've got teenagers here. We've got young, um, we've got college age here. Um, we've got, um, we've got, Young, young men here, young marrieds, and we got young families here, and we got uh, old marrieds, older men. You know, God, God doesn't limit His call to ministry to those that are in their late teens and early 20s. He's been known to call people in their 40s and 50s, and He's been known to call some in, when they were 80. Moses. And some have done their greatest life work in their 80s. Caleb, Joshua. So 
don't retire yet. You see what I'm saying? Um, there, there, there truly is just a, a great need. And I believe God wants to use uh, some here. I read about the, um, the Haystack prayer meeting. I'd mentioned that. Five young college students, 1806, Massachusetts. Williams, um, I believe it's Williamstown, Massachusetts, but it's Williams College. And um, they set themselves to pray. Samuel uh, Mills, along with four others, set themselves to pray that God would, would help them to take the gospel to the foreign field. And it became known as the Haystack meeting because as they were out in the field to pray, a storm was rolling in and they found a haystack to get under. And they began to pray there, but they prayed faithfully. They prayed regularly that God would, would do that. Well, pre preliminary to that, prior to that, uh, there was already praying for revival. Colleges were in a dire state. Um, we, we tend to think about like the 1700s, everybody was saved. Everybody was doing right. But that's, that, that's not right. Alcohol was running pretty free in New England. And, and not everybody was a pilgrim or a Puritan. And there was a lot of promiscuousness in those years. And, and I think we maybe have the wrong concept at times, but, but we need to understand that in, in France... Um, the Renaissance and everything was going on and it was affecting young people here. And young people were living for themselves rather than for God. But there was a group of young men that said, I'm going to set myself to pray. And they began to pray and God began to do some things. And, and we may not know a lot of those names that came out of that, but it was what would be known as the first mission society. And we understand, you know, God works through churches and his churches that start churches. And, but nonetheless, it was a missionary society, a sending society, the first of its kind on this continent in the United States. Uh, and eventually a man named Adoniram Judson would come through. Now he would become Baptist because he studied his Bible on the way to the mission field. And he wrote back and said, I've got to be Baptist. So anyways, but the point being is that from that group of five young men, God did something great. But if you study the history of revival, it always begins with someone and typically not someone of a great position that just sets themselves to pray. These were college students that began to pray that God would do something and God did. Hannah was a, was a barren woman living in a rural community in Israel in the time of the judges. She didn't have a position of power, but here's what she did. She knew the condition of her country and she prayed that God would give them a child and that if God would give them a child, that she would raise that son to serve the Lord. 
And God granted her that request. And I don't believe God granted her the request just so that she could enjoy the joys of motherhood or, or have somebody take care of them in their old age or anything like that. I think she prayed specifically, as we saw last week, she prayed specifically because she knew the need of her country was so great in terms of a need for revival, for a, could I say it this way, a great awakening. And that if something did not happen, that the country Israel would not be what we know it to be today. And I, I want to run by you here just for a moment for you to consider that uh, whether it's that five that prayed under that haystack or others that prayed across the land, the point being this is, is being this, that, that great revivals have always been preceded by people that faithfully pray. The first great awakening, the second great awakening, and as you study that history, it always is, is geared to that. It's always tied to that. And, and I wonder where our country will be if God's people do not seek God again. Where will we be? She wanted to raise him for the Lord. You know what I, I notice about uh, Hannah is she said that, God, if you give me a child, then I will uh, basically raise him under the Nazarite vow. In other words, he's going to be totally separated to you. But when, when, when uh, Eli misunderstood her prayer because she was praying, her lips were moving, but she wasn't saying anything. And he thought that she was, she was intoxicated and, and he began to rebuke her for that. But then he realized uh, what it was. Here's what Hannah said. Uh, she said, I'm not a daughter of Belial. In other words, Hannah saying this, a daughter of Belial, like a son of Belial. Belial means worthlessness, literally is what it means. It'd be an ungodly person. Hannah's saying this, I'm living a separated life. I think it's important if, if, if we're going to raise children to serve the Lord, then we as parents need to separate ourselves to serve the Lord. Are you following me? And, and, it, and if, it, it could be that the reason we're, we're not seeing some call to ministry, going into full-time ministry, serving God full-time with their life, can, could be because parents aren't living separated lives. Now, I, I want to be, be upfront. I want to be transparent here tonight and, and, and acknowledge this like I tried to this morning. Hey, listen, you are not looking at a perfect parent. We're not perfect parents. There are issues in our lives that we ask God to help us with. And, and, but we are trying with God's help to try to raise a godly seed. And, and because, um, hey, if you're going to, I remember um, Brother Decker saying to me, you know, I, I encourage you to have children. I don't think he was just wanting grandkids, though so I'm sure that played into it, no doubt. But he also gave me this speech. He said, the world is bringing a lot of kids into the world. And there needs to be another godly seed in this day and age. He encouraged me as a young man. I think Angie and I maybe were engaged at the time, but he encouraged me, you know, to raise our sons for the Lord. And I'm not saying we've done it perfectly. I, I, I know that's the case, that, we're, that we have not. We want to. Any other parents here tonight find parenting rather challenging? 
I wish there were buttons you could push that would just automatically determine what they would do. <laughs> Hadn't found those yet. Right? Um, but, you know, you, you pray and you, and you seek the Lord and you, and you commit yourself. As, I just wanted to stop before we moved on just to say, parents, listen, if we're going to raise children to serve the Lord, and would we all agree tonight that we need to do that? We would need to raise our kids to serve the Lord. I see the Krauses here tonight, and I'm thankful for their son and daughter, both who have come to Heartland and live in, in Kansas, and their son, uh, Jared. It's a blessing. Hard worker. Um, knows a lot about machinery, but he also knows about serving the Lord. See, And um, I realize you don't have to be called to preach to serve God. You, you can be called to help a preacher. You can be called to help a preacher by, by just being faithful to serve God in, in local church ministry and saying amen along the way. Hey, I'm telling you, that's the way you, you serve the Lord. Um, but I, I know that there are parents here that have, have tried to raise the, your children to serve the Lord. And, and sometimes kids don't make that decision. That's tough, isn't it? When you see that and they go a different direction. But I, I see what Hannah's doing here. And she's saying, listen, I, I, I'm not a daughter of Belial. There are loose women in our society. There are women that drink in our society. There are immoral women in our society. But I'm not part of that culture. She's not, she was not saying, mind you, she was not saying for one second that she was in any, any wise better than the women of their society because, hey, listen, at the end of the day, we're all made of the same stuff. We're all sinners and, we, and thus we sin. And, and so she's not claiming to be any better, but she's simply saying this, I, I, I'm not drunk and I, I don't, in our society, I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. Things are out of order in our culture. I don't want to be adding to the disorder of our culture, but rather we want to live our lives and we want to raise our children to try to be under God's order so that then we're part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I think that's what all of us need, just need to renew ourselves to here tonight to say, God, I don't want to be part of the disorder, the, the moral decay in our society. Young people, would you listen to me here tonight? Don't be part of the, the, the disorder of our society. Young men, young ladies and families here tonight, let us not be part of that moral decaying process, but rather let to say, dear God, would you help us here tonight? And would you give us your grace? And, and some of you have been raised to serve the Lord and you're not serving the Lord. And you need to get with it. How's that? Is that just plain and simple and clear? And, and some of you, some of you are throwing away a, a blessing that you've had. You didn't have the, you didn't have the, uh, the, the, the situation that Brother Cameron had. I mean, Brother Cameron didn't have all the godly influence that many of you have in your life. And some of you have a good godly home and good structure, and yet you're just kind of throwing it to the wind. Stop. Just stop. I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not right. It's not honoring God. It's not honoring your parents, your grandparents, et cetera, et cetera. It's not honoring what God has done in your life. And, and if you think for one millisecond that you're going to find some form of, of fulfillment out there in the world, all you got to do is just go around here with some people that has come out of the world and said, listen, I've been there. It's not what they make it look like. I'm telling you, it's not what you think. But, but somehow you get, you, you're being raised here in church. You kind of think that, well, maybe they got got it pretty good out there. 
telling you it's a lie. And you can either believe me now or believe me later. And it's not believe me, it's believe the word now or believe the word later. But either way, it's, gonna, it's not going to change for you or anybody else like you. You've been raised to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. We don't need more young people that are just quasi-serving God. No, we need some young people that'll find a haystack somewhere and, and get under that haystack, so to speak, and, and in a time of storm, praying that God would move and God would do something. And, and parents like Elkanah and, and, and Hannah that would say, dear God, I don't know what you can do in our society, but please, we just want to raise a son and raise daughters. They went on to have more kids. Isn't that a blessing? And raise them to serve the Lord. Hey, listen, I believe God can still work in our country. And I believe that, it, that we're at a very dire crossroads. And, and I, I sense, I, I don't know how to explain it all, but I sense that, that God's people like you are praying and, and that God is doing something. I believe that God is doing something right here, even within our own church family. But I do know this for sure. There is a great diverter. There is an adversary, there is a devil who would like to divert our attention away and would feed you the lie of the American dream. And the American dream says, have success, have prominence, have prestige, have platform. But listen, it's not in having those things, but rather it's this, it's letting God have your life and let God work through you because those who live the American dream sometime wake up in a nightmare realizing I haven't been living for eternal values. And parents, I'm just pleading with you tonight that, that you would not try to raise your son or daughter to be successful in the world's eyes or, or have an education like everybody else or, or have money like everybody else. Please, I plead with you tonight, don't make that your goal as a parent, but rather this, make it your goal as a parent to say, I want to serve God with my life and I want to raise our children to serve the Lord as well because He is worthy of it. Yeah. Elkanah, did you realize this? I hadn't thought about this, but Elkanah could have, could have annulled her vow. According to Numbers chapter 30 or so, somewhere right in there, he could have said, I'm sorry, Hannah, but I, I just can't go along with this and I'm gonna say no. He had the authority as her husband to say no, and yet he didn't, he supported it. But at the same time, I don't see this. I don't see Hannah trying to lead the family and Elkanah just kind of waddling along. I see them both. I mean, he's leading his family to worship. She's going along with it. I believe there's, there's something to be gained there of, of, of the teamwork. And listen, if we're going to raise children to serve the Lord, then husbands and wives, listen, we've got to work together in this. And when you get married, then you realize you're different. And you were raised different. And one of the most valuable things a marriage counselor, Brother Hollis Cook, said to us while we sat down for a crash course on marriage with him, four hours, one shot. And he said this, he said, your marriage is the marriage of three families, your family, her family, and the family that you establish. And I'm telling you, that's proven true. Your family, her family, family that you established. And, and the way that you're raised and your ideas about parenting and her ideas about parenting and your ideas about finances and her ideas about finances and et cetera and on and on all these areas that go, then, then they're different because you're different. And if you're not careful, Satan can use that as a wedge to divide you. But God wants to help us as parents. I believe wholeheartedly that God wants to help us as parents. But I'm telling you, just as much as God is at work, Satan counters it and try to get you on different pages. So then you don't raise 
your kids to serve the Lord, but you raise your kids to be selfish because you're selfish. That wasn't Elkanah and Hannah. They said, we just want to serve the Lord. We want to raise our kids to serve the Lord. And she said, um, I'm not, I'm not going to go until, until it's time to give him to God. I mean, that's really, you think about that. Here's this, she, she wanted a son and she made a vow and she followed through with it. And when he was about three years old, she left him there at Shiloh. I mean, that took some trust. Because, I mean, you know Eli, and you know Hophni and Phinehas, and you know the culture. I mean, that took some trust. I want to thank God tonight for a mom and a dad that said, you know, we're going to do what we can. And then it comes a time when you can't do much more. Now, she brought him a coat every year. I look forward to preaching that. But there wasn't much more that she could do. She really did just have to trust the Lord. Parents, am I talking your language here tonight? It's a lot of it in it. It's tough to trust the Lord to work in your kids' lives. I mean, you know he is. But sometimes we think he's not doing enough. People start pushing panic buttons. I'm pretty sure I've shared this before, but I remember when Tyler was probably about five or so, something like that. I don't remember, maybe four. It was youth conference time, and we were renting out Whitewater, and guys on one night, girls on the next night, and there was the guys' night, and and I remember climbing up, you know, with the tube, you know what I'm talking about, and the tube up to the top of the tower and, and uh, put the tube down on the arrows there. And, and, uh, and, and I sat down in it and expected that, you know, Tyler had, every year prior to that, he's always just ridden with me. And that year, the man at the top had the audacity to say this, um, he's going to have to go by himself. And I said, in my mind, I didn't say it out loud. Out loud, I said, oh, yeah, that's right. But on the inside, I was saying, he's just a child. He's just a baby. And so, man, I tell you what, I put him in that tube and said, here you go, bud. Your mom's going to kill me. And here's what I heard. down. He's going up on the side. Man, he had a blast. And I got down and he said, let's do that again. Man, it was, it was awesome. At the same time, it was challenging to say, God, can I, can I trust? Trust him. Can I trust you? You with me tonight? I'm here to tell you, you can trust him. Elkanah and Hannah brought him and left him there to be raised, to learn, to do ministry. The Bible says that this child I prayed, his name is Samuel. Even his name is, is um, from the word that sounds like the word to hear. So I asked God for this child and here's what he gave me. For this child I prayed, his name is Samuel. Asked of God. But, but here's, here's how she had an impact on society. We've already covered that she prayed and that had an impact on society. But, but here's how she had an impact on her society. Watch this. She gave back to God what God had given to her. 
she gave back to God what God had given to her. The Bible says that she lent him to the Lord. Now you, you kind of think lent, is that like borrow? She let God borrow him? Like I, I lend this to you. When you're in college, <laughs> you realize probably sooner than later, there are certain things you don't let people borrow because you want to see it again. Like your car, your tie, a book, right? Um, here, that's not what she did. She wasn't letting him borrow him. The idea is this, a transfer of ownership. Children are inheritance of the Lord. They're given to us by God. We are God's agents to raise them on his behalf, which means we're supposed to raise them just like God would raise them. Now, how many of you here say that's challenging right there? Because I, I, I tend to raise them like I would raise them. But I need to raise them and you need to raise them like God would raise them because we stand in Christ's stead. Parents, I want to remind you of that tonight. Uh, you are not the owner. You are actually God's agent in your child's life to raise them for the Lord. And, and thus here, it's, it was very formal and thus they brought the three bullocks. I mean, this was a grand occasion, don't you know? I mean, it, it exceeded what they normally would bring because it was such a big monumental moment and they brought an ephah of flour, which would be, if I studied right, three times more than what they normally would bring. But this was a big deal. And so, you know, when you have a big deal, you make a big deal about it. So <laughs> that makes sense. When, when you get married, you have a big rehearsal dinner. You don't, ha you don't spend that expense every week. Hallelujah. That's a big deal. You graduate, you, you have a big event over the house because it's a big event. Um, when you just want to show love and appreciation to someone, I was reminded of Franklin Questel. Franklin Questel came from, and Amanda came from uh, New York. And uh, my, our, our hearts just were endeared to what God was doing in their life. And, and, uh, and he said, Pastor, I, or I, I was his teacher at the time. I wish I could do his accent. I'm not even going to try. But he took us to Red Lobster and said, we just want to, we want to, we want to show you that we love you and appreciate you and your family, New York style. And so he ordered three appetizers. Mercy. And Tyler was young and he said, what does he want to eat? And, and he was kind of between two. He said, we're buying both of them. I mean, there's just like all kinds of food there. I thought, man, I like New York. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay. And, and so that was, that was love shown there. What, what Hannah and, and Elkin are doing is they're saying, God, we love you and we trust you. And, and we're, we're making a big deal about this. And we're going to trust him into your hands and we're transferring him to you to let you use him. They raised him for that very moment. They gave back to God what God had given them. The more I thought about that, the more I thought, you know, that's the essence of life right there. We give back to God what God has given to us. Isn't that true of our tithes and offerings? I'm just giving back to God what God has given to us of my time. I'm just giving back to God what God has given to me. Of our kids, I'm just giving back to God what God has given to me. Of, of these graduates, I thought of you that are graduating, those that are graduating this year. God gave you to us four years ago and now we're giving you back to God. <laughs> Is there a return policy there? What's the, you know? No, we, God brought you here and, and honestly, I, I think those of us that know you would say, I'd love to see you just stay here. Be wonderful. Josh and Natasha Knuff here this morning. Mercy. 
What a blessing to get to see them again. Wouldn't it be great to have them around all the time? But God's got them in Lakewood, Washington. That's where they need to be. God gave them to us. We're giving them back to God. And that's what God is doing. I, I love Brother Larry Baker says um, just about every, every August, God's answered our prayer again and sent more students. He's given them to us. And, and I tell you, it's, it's something to see you come here nervous as can be just to do this very thing. I'm Jason Gaddis from Bowling Green, Kentucky, Grace Baptist Church. terrifying. But four years ago, Brother Cameron came here and did that. And the others that are graduating came here and did that. And God gave you to us, and now we just want to give you back to God. God's given you a personality. Give that personality back to God. Let God use that personality. Don't use it for yourself. God's given you a talent, an ability. Then give that talent and ability back to God. Because it's only as we give back to God what He's given to us that that has an impact on society. And to the glory of His name. That's the bigger deal. God's given us marriage. Let's give our marriages back to God. You follow me? God's given us this church. Allowed us to be a part of it. Let's give this church back to God. And say, God, we want you to use it and do what you want to in it Amen. as you see fit. Yep. Give back to God what God has given you. What, what has God given you? Your very life. Yes. God has given you your very life. Yes. Give your life back to the one that gave it to you. Father, we pray earnestly that you'd help us as, as people that you've blessed so immensely, that you'd help us to give back to you what you've given to us. And Lord, I see what Hannah did here, and if I understand it right, then she certainly did that. She did exactly what she said she would do, but not just that, but she received from you and she honored you. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to do that very thing. Help us, dear Heavenly Father, as, as um, families and individuals with the need being so great in the ministry. And I'm not sure if I painted the picture accurately tonight or not or got it across with enough fervor or persuasion that there's such a need today for people to be involved in full-time ministry, to be called to it. And I realize it's got to be your calling, dear God. I, I wouldn't want to try to in any way call anyone. It's not my place. But God, to make the need known and let you work where you see fit and sufficient, Lord, I, I believe you can do that. And God, certainly you're calling us all to serve you daily in our lives in a full-time way. And so we pray earnestly, Lord, that you'd, you'd raise up another generation of Samuels who might learn and be developed to serve you their whole life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together tonight.